You're listening to sermon podcasts from the Anglican Church of Noosa. This is the final week in our Summer Chill series, looking at some classic psalms. And this week, Chris Johnson is preaching on Psalm 139. Our reading this morning is from Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 1 through to verse 24. And that can be found on the Pew Bibles on page 621. So Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea... Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be together as God's people and now as we gather around his word. Are you enjoying the Psalms? They're very powerful, very moving, aren't they? Very personal. And uh, Psalm 139 uh, will not disappoint in that way as well. Uh, It will be helpful to have it open in front of you, page page 621, uh, because I'll be referring to it throughout the sermon, of course. You know, some psalms are very simple and direct and easy to understand. 
Psalm 139 is not one of them. This is perhaps the most profound of all the Psalms. And there's some very rich theological themes flowing through it. There's teaching here about predestination. There's some great teaching here about God. From it we learn that God is omnipotent. You know what that means? All-powerful. God is omnipresent, all-present. God is omniscient, all-knowing. Those are words that theologians use to describe the attributes of God. And it's passages like Psalm 139 that give us this understanding of God. So this psalm contains some wonderful doctrine about God. However, it is not primarily a doctrinal statement. It's actually a hymn of worship. It's a hymn written by King David. David here is reflecting on these wonderful attributes of God and it draws him into praise and worship. So as we explore this psalm, I hope it, you might be able to throw out any small ideas of God you have. Let your mind expand in, in terms of who God is and I pray it will draw you into worship. Well, this psalm is made up of four stanzas. Uh, and each has six verses. The overarching theme is God's sovereignty. And each stanza brings out another aspect of that sovereignty. And so I'm going to deal with it in terms of the four stanzas. And the headings are these. Firstly in verses 1 to 6 that we are known by God. Known by God. Secondly there's no escaping God. That's in verses 7 to 12. That we're fearfully and wonderfully made by God in verses 13 to 18. And finally, the everlasting way with God. So first of all, known by God. How does God know us? Well, he knows my movements. Verse 2 says there, he knows when I sit down and when I rise. Verse 3, when I'm going out, when I lie down. He knows my thoughts. Verse 2 says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. He knows what I'm going to say. In verse 4, it says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. And he's familiar with all my ways. Verse 3. So this is what the theologians call omniscience. It's a big word, isn't it? It simply means all knowing he knows me but this omniscience is not set out in the usual way you'd find in a systematic theology no it's expressed here in the most personal of terms david stands in awe of god that he knows everything about him god's knowing here is seen as very active so he perceives us verse 2 discerns us verse 3 very familiar with us, also in verse 3. Knowing our minds, verse 2. And our tongues, verse 4. And surrounding us and placing his hand on us, in verse 5. All very active verbs of God knowing us. Can you imagine another human being knowing you that well? Knowing you as well as God does in all those ways. You might like to think about going to the cinema one day and guess what the feature movie is? You. 
<laughs> and it's all about your life, all your movements, all your words, all your thinking. And guess who's in the audience? All your family and friends. <laughs> what would it be like for them to know you like God does? That's scary, isn't it? I can't help but think of the royal family, how they must feel like they're living in a goldfish bowl all the time. Uh, everyone's observing their every move. They're pulling apart every word they speak and speculating, of course, on every thought. They're probably the most well-known family in the world. And when you know them that well, it's scary. The, close, the closest... Uh, most, of, most of us, I think, will probably come to experientially uh, feeling what's being said here in this psalm is possibly in marriage. Marriage is about being known intimately by another person, isn't it? Your gifts and strengths, but also your foibles and your sin. Marriage can be scary about being known by another person that well. There's an old saying which says, just as well love is blind, otherwise it'd see too much. <laughs> and so there is a need for love to not just be sentimental, but actually a love which exercises grace, which can see everything and yet still show love in return. Love that is grace is absolutely essential for a good marriage. The amazing thing with God is that he knows us even more thoroughly than any marriage partner could possibly know us. He knows us through and through. And that's scary. I hope you're feeling a sense of that. It's not just someone up there who's far away. No, he's right here and he knows everything. And sometimes we can feel hemmed in like the psalmist does there in verse 5. He hems me in. Yet the wonderful assurance, of course, of the gospel is that through Jesus, we receive grace upon grace. The coming of Jesus into the world assures us that God's total knowledge of us is not there to taunt us, but to reassure us that one wiser and stronger, one who knows everything, is there for us. And that his grace is available to lead us into this fulfilling life of the kingdom of God. And so his grace comes with his deep knowing of us. So yes, we are known by God, and that should be a great encouragement in the end uh, for those of us who have his grace. Secondly, there's no escaping God, verses 7 to 12. There's a certain ambivalence here on the part of David in these verses. Is he trying to run away from God, like in verse 17? Uh, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Or is he just looking for reassurance that God will be present wherever he goes? And so in verses 9 and 10 there, even if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Is he just looking for that sort of reassurance? I think this uh, verse this, oh, sorry, this stanza arises out of verse 5. That, uh, f that verse that said, You hem me in behind and before. He's hemmed in, you see. So he's, he's saying, Do I need to flee? Uh, is this hemming in 
so that he might have reassurance or is it a reason to flee, being scared, being overwhelmed? So there's a certain ambivalence with David as you read through those verses. I'm reminded of the famous poem, The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. And he starts his poem like this. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And he goes through his journey and his struggle. But then at the end, in the poem, he suggests this. He says, Is my gloom, after all, the shade of his hand outstretched caressingly? Think about that. The shade of his hand, you see, seems to bring gloom. But is it outstretched caressingly? I know in my teenage years, I thought that to acknowledge God would threaten my freedom, that it would squash me and make me do things I didn't really want to do. And the thought of letting God find me, catch me, be the Lord over my life, I thought would be oppressive. In the words of Francis Thompson, that the shade of his hand to me was gloom. Yet when I gave in, when I let him catch me, I found that his hand was indeed outstretched caressingly. And it touched me and I knew his grace. To come back to the psalmist question, where can I flee from his presence? The answer, of course, is nowhere. Nowhere. Should uh, we be heartened or threatened by that truth? I think it depends on the condition of our hearts. So long as I'm thinking about my own self-pleasure and pushing God away, then God's presence is a threat. As soon as I turn from my sin, repent and come back to him, his presence is the most wonderful comfort. We need to be converted. Do you have a converted heart? Have you let the hound of heaven catch you? Have you given in and experienced the sweetness of his caress? If you read these verses with a converted heart, they are wonderful comfort. Wonderful picture of his love reaching out, searching for you and knowing you. Thirdly, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And this stanza is verses 13 to 18. And it's this section, uh, in this section that we very clearly find the doctrine of predestination. However, once again, it's presented in terms of worship and adoration rather than just as doctrine. Verse 16 says this, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. David is aware that all his days from the moment of conception to the day of his death belong to God and are ordained by God. And that leads him to worship. Notice what it goes on to say. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The big focus of this section is actually the miracle of life in the womb. 
David's overawed by it. He thinks it's amazing. You know what? He didn't have any ultrasounds or colour screen computers giving him all the beautiful pictures we can get. But he can still reflect on it. And he's amazed. He reflects on the fact that he was once in the womb. He wasn't conscious of it, but he knows God was. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you. Verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. David recognises he's the creation of a personal loving God. And he uses some powerful poetic language to describe it. So in verse 13, it is God who knit him together in his mother's womb. In verse 15, he talks about being woven together in the depths of the earth. The RSV translates that this way. It says, when I was being made in secret, intricately wrought in the depths of the earth. And that's a metaphor for the womb. It's a metaphor which I think conveys something of the mystery of conception, of a new little life forming and of birth. A little life which is in the womb uh, independent, yet totally dependent, isn't he, on his mother. Uh, It's a beautiful reflection. And I think the message of this section is, is a very positive one. It's saying that every human life is special. And ordained by God. You know what? That means you're special. No matter how ordinary you might think you are, you're special. No matter how you might compare yourself with others and put yourself down, think, oh, I can't do all the things they can do. No, God's made you just the way he wants you. You're special. So make these verses your story. That God has knit you together in your mother's womb. Say with the psalmist, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So yes, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The third stanza. And then finally, uh, the everlasting way with God, verses 19 to 24. When we get to verse 19, uh, the psalm seems to take a disconcerting change of direction, doesn't it? Did you notice that? If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Where did that come from? It's like we've been on the mountaintop contemplating lofty views of God and his sovereign work in our lives. But all of a sudden we're thrust down into the valley where the grubby affairs of human beings rule the day rather than this omnipotent God. Well, I think what's going on is that the clarity of David's vision of God makes the presence of evil intolerable to him. As he focuses on God and catches this vision and this glimpse, the presence of evil becomes intolerable. And so his hatred of the wicked is not personal spite. It's not because of what the wicked have done to him and he's really upset and he's just fighting back. There's no hint of that in in these verses at all. It is simply zeal for God. And the holiness and majesty of God that drives David in these words. As he says in verse 21, I abhor those who are in rebellion against you. Not that they've done something to David, no, against God. And if you look at the last two verses, I think they give this whole section uh, its proper context. 
Uh, if you're concerned that David might be getting a little bit self-righteous in his words about the wicked, uh, then these last two verses really put it into context. Verse 23, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Dave wants to be sure his motives are pure. And so he wants God's judging eye to penetrate him and see if there's any offensive way in him. And so he's opening himself up to the same judgment that he wants God to exercise on the wicked. He wants to be led in the way everlasting. And he knows this is a way the wicked know nothing about. And he wants to go this other way, this much better way. His desire is to be rid of all corruption and sin in his life. He wants to walk only in the way everlasting. So what a magnificent psalm with so many rich theological themes. How can we sum it up? Well, as I read this psalm, you know what? It felt like I was swimming out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean without a piece of land or a boat or anything anywhere in sight. <laughs> totally out of my depth. And scary. Scary. Yet, you know what? By the time you get to the end of the psalm, I felt absolutely secure in the hands of God. Read the psalm. Get scared, but then find who it is who's actually holding you. For all its height and depth, this psalm is intensely personal. Yes, it speaks of a God who is too enormous for us to possibly comprehend. Verse 6, it says, such knowledge, knowledge of you, Lord. It's too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Yet that doesn't matter to David. Because, you see, we might not be able to comprehend God, but the important thing is he comprehends us. And so we come back to where we began, and especially in those first three verses... My little paraphrase of those verses would be this. Lord, you know me. You know, when I sit down, when I rise, you're familiar with all my ways. I am known. So, my friends, let this magnificent, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God, the God of Psalm 139, speak to you personally today. Let him know you uh, and come afresh to worship. The Anglican Church Noosa is an evangelical Anglican church on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website anglicanchurchnoosa.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening.